Please remain standing for this morning's public reading. We'll be reading from John chapter 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, an eventful Sunday as always at Redemption Hill Church. Like nothing happened. It's already gone. Don't speak of it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's okay. Accidents happen. You know, but I'll I'll say this before we jump in. You know, corporate worship is such an important part of our lives. It's sometimes easy to think my relationship with God is just me and God, and that's all it is. But even as a pastor, I forget some of the most basic truths of Christianity from time to time, at least functionally in my life. And one of those things that just struck me to, in today's singing, and why we sing songs, why we do, do that part of all this, you know, it's, it, can, it can seem a little weird, right? A bunch of adults come to a room and have sing-along time. It's a strange thing to do. But we do it week in and week out. We do it because it reminds us of things that we often forget. We're singing that, that song, A Blessed Assurance, of This Is My Story. And it's the part before saying that reality has struck me, and this isn't very profound, but that Jesus died for me. So we sang, I'm washed in his blood, and, and it was just, it's a powerful thing to hear you behind me. It's the advantage of sitting on the front row. I get to hear everyone behind me singing, and we're all singing together, these people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't just die for the world. He, di- he did, but, but don't forget Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And that's a truth that I can often forget. So, that's a little sermonette. There's a bonus for you. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. As we do that together, it is Pentecost. We've been building up to it in Acts chapter 1, talking about the promise of the Father that would come and fill the, the disciples and equip them and empower them for their mission. This is an event, this Pentecost event that we see, that is totally world-changing. It's on par with things like creation of the world, the Ten Commandments being given, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And what I mean by that is this, is if this event doesn't happen, the world we live in is totally different. See, what we read about in Acts chapter 2 
is so important. It is so uh, just central to the storyline of Scripture and to the st- our story as a people that we have to realize that this is monumental. The Holy Spirit, God, comes to dwell in Christians. That changes everything. It ought to change your life to know that the living God, if you know Jesus as Lord, lives in you. And as we look at that reality this morning, I want us to see three things. That the Spirit of God fills all, goes to all, and that all must respond. So he will fill all, he goes to all, and all must respond to him. With that, let's read Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 1, going to verse 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house they were sitting where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Well, we want to look at this text, and we'll take it little bit by little bit, looking at the first four verses. He fills all that they came, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, and Pentecost is roughly 50 days after the Passover. It would be celebrating uh, the Feast of Weeks, or kind of the harvest, or first fruits. And they came together, and so these Jews that we ta- hear about in verse 5 are staying and s- hanging around in Jerusalem. They came to celebrate Passover. They're now staying to celebrate these other feasts. P- Pentecost comes, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly, what a, what a word, What an understatement. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house they were sitting, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What's amazing is this event happens, and it happens, and it correlates with sound, sight, and then speech. It it, it affects all of who they are as it shows up as this loud, mighty, rushing wind fills the whole area. As the Spirit of God arrives, and it's this sight of this, what seems like a tongue of flame, like tongue like the organ, like like in your mouth. It it looked like that. You can kind of think of a flame of fire. And and I don't think it's literal fire. I think 
they're just trying to describe, I don't know, this thing showed up. It looked like a flame. And it was there and it separates out or it separated or divided. And it rests on each one of them. And they were all filled. And as they see that amazing thing rest on them, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What an incredible thing to hear that sound and see that sight. But let us not miss who did the Spirit rest on. Not just a few. It doesn't say just the apostles, just the twelve. Seems to me that if we read Acts 1 and 2 together, that it's probably the 120 that he's talked about in Acts chapter 1, that they are all gathered together. They were the ones gathered together, praying, praying about who should be the next apostle. God just doesn't select a few great leaders and great people, but it's all who follow Jesus who get the gift of the Holy Spirit. He fills each one of them. And they all begin to speak in these other tongues, which seems to be in Acts 2, other languages. The word there, tongues, uh, where, where our ESV is translated tongues, and they translate another word, languages, is the word literally for like your tongue, the organ in your mouth, and then he uses a word that sounds like a dialect, or a dialect that you might say, but then he uses it again interchangeably at the end when he says, and they all spoke in their native tongues there in verse 11, the mighty works of God, because as he's doing that, the, the word that he's using is that they're born, the, the language in which they were born, and they're all able to understand them. And so they all come, they start to speak in these other languages, these other tongues with one another. And it's not just one, but it's all of them. And, and as a missionary friend told me one time, and I think it was just a, a good little illustration, he told me, he said, God's plan for global evangelization, to share the gospel with the whole world, is a field my strategy and not a combine strategy. What he meant by that is instead of just equipping one really big thing to go through and take the harvest, God's plan was to equip every individual believer to be a part of a network together that would go and harvest. All, illust- all illustrations fall short, I'm sure, somewhere. But what a great thing to realize. They're all filled with the Spirit. They all began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this is a really unique event. I think it's unique in the sense of like I said earlier, the, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, that it changes everything for all time, but it, but it happens kind of just the one time. I've never been in a church service where fire just like landed on everyone, right? That, that hasn't happened in my life. But I do believe that God is still filling us by his spirit. Because I think we can read this passage and I can say, listen, you have the Holy Spirit, he fills all, and all began to speak. And it's easy to look at the passage and say, well, I mean, he filled all of them. Does that mean that he fills us? We don't have the same exact kind of experience now. So what does that look like? What does that mean for us? And while I think it is true that in this unique event, they all happen to, to not only be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they all then happen to express the manifestation 
manifestation of the filling of the Holy Spirit in the exact same way. They all begin to speak in another language so that people will hear them and understand. They all, they all do that together. That I don't think that's what happens forever, but, but I think that's going to be our second point. I think God is doing that because he's showing, hey, this needs to go out to everybody. But I think what we can see is that there's more written in the New Testament as they ask that question of, well, the 120, yeah, they were filled, but they were also there at Pentecost. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit now? In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, they'll be on the screen. Paul tells us, and I'm really at two verses within this, verses 6 and 11. You can mark them as you follow along in your Bible. But picking up in verse 4, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So verse 6 there. He empowers them all and in everyone, as Paul writes to this church. And he's telling them broadly about spiritual gifts, not just to this specific church, but this is what it looks like throughout all the churches of the world. He'll say that later in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Then verse 11, all these are empowered, so all, by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he, talking about the Spirit, wills. I think the point that I want to get at isn't a long discussion about spiritual gifts. The point I want to get at is that all are equipped to fulfill God's mission in your life. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is telling them the point of spiritual gifts is the building up of the body. Our scripture reading this morning told us that the point of the Holy Spirit was to glorify the Son who glorifies the Father. And so what does that look like for you today? What does this passage have to say in your life? Is this, you are called to build up the body and you are called to glorify the Son and the Father through being a witness to what Jesus has done. And you're equipped to do that by his spirit. We build one another up and we glorify God. And the spirit enables us all to do that. Not everybody here, and I don't think I know anyone here, has the ability to just miraculously speak in another language. But everyone here is filled by the spirit. He empowers them in everyone. Verse 6, he apportions to each one individually. Verse 11 from our passage in 1 Corinthians 12. And I think it is a helpful thing to us to look at the event of Pentecost and to remember that even though it is miraculous and it came with a loud rushing wind and a spirit of some kind of flame of tongue rested on each one individually and maybe your salvation experience wasn't quite that cool. Mine certainly was not. The same God fills you. And he equips you for his mission to build one another up in the body and glorify God. Now, here's the temptation for all of us. We read a list like this or other ones in the Bible, and we then say, oh, you know what I need to do? I need to figure out what my spiritual gift is. Like it's some kind of superpower. And I got to know my superpower before I can like do anything. Or it's like, figuring out what Harry, Sp- Harry Potter school you belong to on the internet or what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle you might most associate with. 
or fill in whatever thing that you want to do in whatever dystopian book you've read last about how you fit into that, and we'll take it, and it's like this personality quiz. I'm going to take this survey, and then that's going to tell me like what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I think you're actually asking the wrong question. It's not about what is my spiritual gift. It's about how can I build up the church, and how can I glorify the Father? Who glorifies the Son? See, what I, wanna, I want to challenge you to do is ask this question this week. Who in my life needs encouraged? Who in my life needs to hear the gospel? And here's what's going to happen. You're going to think of somebody, and you're going to start to think in your mind, how might I encourage them? What would that look like? And some of you, not me, you're going to bake something. And you're going to go and you're going to take it to that person. Perhaps that person has a spiritual gift of service or mercy or hospitality. Praise the Lord. We all love baked goods. You don't want me to make you anything. Right? But I might think of that and think, you know what? Maybe I can sit down and read a book with them. And we can study the Bible. We can do those kinds of things. And I would say, in my life... I do believe teaching is a spiritual gift of mine, but that wasn't because I filled out something and I was like, all that tells me is what I want to do, not what I'm actually any good at. I spent eight years in a local church and had pastors come around us and say like, hey, what is your, what is your gift? And some of it is like, when you think of ways to encourage people, what comes to your mind? What's encouraging to you? And just go do that. And you will figure out over time how God has equipped you to love other people. There are people in our congregation who will just text me like the most encouraging things. And I've just told them, I think you have a spiritual gift of encouragement. Not everyone does that. Not everyone is naturally encouraging. You are. And I'm thankful for you. There are other people who will just call you out. They'll have the hard conversation with you. And it's like, well, maybe you do have some spiritual gift of prophecy because that's pretty hard-hitting. But I needed to hear it, and it was a right word and a right moment, as Proverbs tells us. These are the kinds of things that I think we want to look at, not to try to figure out where do I fit, but rather just take the next right step of obedience in your life. So do I believe that he fills all? I do. I don't necessarily think that all I'm actually quite certain that all are not filled by the Spirit in this exact way that we read in Acts chapter 2. But all are filled who come to know Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, his Spirit fills you and equips you because he fills all because God's plan is that field mouth strategy because he wants us to go to all. Picking up in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's kind of just a way to say the Roman Empire, right? So this isn't saying like an indigenous peoples in the Americas showed up to Jerusalem that day. That didn't, that didn't happen. There were Jews who were dispersed out throughout the Roman Empire, and this is where these people lived. Now, I think it's still amazing, though, because God's strategy, he has told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if we can go there, 
uh, just real quickly. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So that's what Jesus told them. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. You're going to have the power to do this. Then the Holy Spirit shows up, and God, in his awesome sovereignty, gathers people from all over the world to this one house in Jerusalem through this one loud noise so that they might all hear in their own language because then he equips those people to speak in their language in such a way that they are amazed and astonished and bewildered at what is happening. And that is just awesome. See, God is doing that, and I think that's why it's manifesting itself this particular way in this particular instance, that every single person speaks in another tongue, is because Jesus just told them, you need to go out into all of the world and preach the gospel and be my witness. So in this moment, they are all doing that, and they're all filled, and they're able to speak in all these different languages. If we could go back to our text. Sorry, Steve, I got you going everywhere. Uh, Verse 6. It says, and at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Like I said earlier, the translation there is, is, is in the language to which he was born. So how they are born. Because what's happening is you have these people who are ethnically Jewish, who are coming back to Jerusalem to worship. And as they come back to worship, they would have been born somewhere else. And probably where they were born, that's their first language, as we would call it sometimes in our culture, the language that they're most familiar with, most likely. But that doesn't mean that they were actually ignorant to Aramaic and Hebrew. They probably knew them. As Americans, it's hard for us to believe that people know more than one language because that's all we know. But the rest of the world doesn't really function like that and historically hasn't functioned like that. People are multilingual. I don't actually think they needed necessarily this gift so that they could be understood. They probably knew Aramaic, and so did these Galeans. But what I think is God is doing, and I say think, I guess I don't know, God is showing them, hey, listen up. This is really important. Something new and amazing that's never happened before is happening. The Spirit of God is filling people to dwell in them. He's no longer hidden in the temple. He is going to go out throughout the entire world. And so they're speaking in their own native or born languages. And they are astonished and amazed, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans like these guys shouldn't be able to speak our language? How is it that we hear them, each one of us, in his own native language? And then he gives us a big, long list of the various places there, verses 9 and 10. It's funny, commentators try to figure out, like, what is he trying to do? They're like, he goes east and then west and he circles around. I don't know. I I think he's just listing a lot of places where people were from in the text. And it's showing us that there wasn't anywhere in this empire and in this world that God was going to leave out. God is going to speak their language. Skipping down to verse 11 in the second half, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongue, so using that word for organ again, but talking about their own born language, the mighty works of God. They're there, and they're hearing this happen, and they know something is happening. We need to pay attention. This is, this is amazing. 
We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, the places that we were born from in that verses 9 through 10, where we grew up. God hears them. And I think, what a strategy. He brings them all together because guess what? They're going to go back home. They're going to take the gospel with them. Acts 1-8 is going to be fulfilled. They will be his witnesses in all of the world, every nation under heaven. And Luke probably didn't even really know what he was saying when he wrote that. He was unaware of South America and North America. And yet here the gospel is, thriving and changing us. What an amazing thing that God is doing. Perhaps we can remember that in Genesis chapter 11, that it was God who first confused the languages of people. Genesis 11, it tells us that everyone was speaking one language, each one. And they came together and said, we're going to build the city, and at the top of the city, we're going to put a tower, and that tower is going to reach to heaven. But what God had told them earlier in the book of Genesis was, go and fill the earth and multiply. And their idea was then, instead of doing that, let's just all stay here and build up. And then it it kind of mockingly tells us, and so then the Lord came down to them. The text is saying, like, even when they tried to build it up, God comes down to them. And he says, let us confuse their languages, not because God's trying to be mean and play a trick, because God wants them to disperse and fill the earth with his glory. And then that happens. And so God takes all of these different languages, and he confuses their language, they have different languages, and so they spread out. And what an amazing thing that in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit of God falls on people filled with the Spirit, those who believe in Jesus as the Messiah, who died on their, in their place and rose from the dead. They're filled with the Spirit of God. And God uses those same languages that he used because they were honoring their own name. The text in Genesis actually says, so that we might make a name for ourselves. God had told them to go and fill the earth to make his name great. They said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And here you have God now taking the same languages, performing this miracle by the power of his spirit. And he does it for his namesake. Who is glorified in all of this? It is God. Second half of verse 11. Again, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. In our text, it says that they are bewildered. It says they're amazed and astonished. They can't believe that this would happen. If we look into the future in the book of Revelation, we're told this in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who gets all the glory from every language and every group of people from all over the world, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their culture, no matter where they live, no matter if they're rich or they're poor, no matter if they're male or they're female. All peoples from all over, there are people from there, and they are crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So what are we to do? 
I think we have to look at this event, know that it was real and that it happened. And we have to say, I'm amazed. I'm astonished by a God who for his own name's sake will reach everyone in the world and there are no barriers that he can't cross. Language will not be an obstacle. Nothing will thwart him. Nothing will stop him. He will enable and empower us to fulfill this mission by his spirit. That leads us to the last thing that we want to look at today, and that's this, is that all must respond. Because he fills all and equips all of us, and because we are to go to all, and the Spirit of God is going to ensure that we go to all. We've already seen into the future. Everybody's there that believes in Jesus from all over, every tribe, nation, language. They're all there. There's no place on earth that isn't going to have the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. That's going to happen. And as he does that, and he proclaims that, that means that all people must respond. And so while it will go to every nation, that doesn't mean that every individual will be gathered around that throne. As we read, even in Acts chapter 2, it says, and they, were all, and they all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. See, there are those who look at the mighty works of God and hear of them, and they are amazed, maybe even a little confused. They're asking, hey, I, I need a little more answers here. And that's good. Genuine quest- questioners, God loves that. So let's talk about it. And let's find out the truth. But then there are those who mock them. Who say, ah, you know, I don't know what's going on here. I just hear a bunch of languages all at one time, and all of a sudden I just hear like, ah, no, no, he rose from the dead. Like, I understood that part, because that was in the mind. You know, they're just, there's something is going on, and they're saying, they're just, they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. And they mock them. All respond to God, whether they mock and push him off to the side, or whether they are amazed and want to know more. Everyone must respond. We've already looked into the future in Revelation 7, so let's do it one more time. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11. It reads, Then I saw a great wine throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If any name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is reality. This is the truth. Everyone will stand before God's great throne of judgment. Nobody escapes this reality. Everyone will stand before him. And they will either be 
amazed and a worshiper of God, the one true God, through his son Jesus. Or they will be judged according to their works. Your name is either found in the book of life because you have a relationship with Christ or you are judged according to your deeds and you won't be good enough. Nobody will be good enough on their own. That's the truth. The Spirit fills all and equips all that we might go and preach the gospel to all because all are going to have to give an account to God one day. So here it is. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, today is the day. Here's the truth that the Bible teaches about you and about God. God created the world and all in it was good. And he made it so that we might flourish. But then man in Adam and in Eve sinned against God. And they fell away from God, and now you are born in sin. Every human being has rebelled against God. We do what we want to do. We want to live life our own way. We tell God, I don't want to live your way. I want to live my own way. And that's called sin, and it separates us from God. And there's nothing you can do on your own. You can't work your way out of it. You can't just try really, really hard. You can't just be a genuine or good person, or it doesn't really matter what I believe as long as I'm genuine about what I believe. No, 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 Nothing is going to do that. Your deeds are being recorded. God knows them, every single one. And one day you will stand before a holy and just God, and he will look at you, and he will judge you according to what you have done. But the Bible teaches this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he sent Jesus to be born of a virgin to live a life that you and I could never live. And he was perfect in every way, tempted in every way, but without sin. And even though he was perfect and innocent, he willingly went to a cross, which was a way that criminals would be killed. It'd be like going to a lethal injection or an electric chair now in our culture. And he did that willingly to die for your sin and mine, that the wrath of God was poured out on him in that moment. And all of those deeds recorded in his books, then he knows Jesus took them on himself. And the Bible tells us that as far as the east is from the west, that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he takes those deeds and he holds them in the small of his back. And he does not count them against you because he has laid the iniquity of us all on him. What we just sang. Your sin, your rebellion was put on Jesus and not on him. And it won't be on you if you are in Christ. Meaning you repent of your sins. You say, my way, I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to keep doing this the way that I'm doing it. I want to follow God. I want to follow Jesus with all of my life. And by faith, you put your trust and faith in Jesus. Jimmy and I just finished a book and it talked about what do we do when we talk to the unbeliever and they're just not there yet. He gave us three things to do. He said, pray. Tell the non-Christian or tell that person, I don't know, right? Begin to pray and ask that God would open your eyes. The second thing he said, 
flee from your sin. If you're here, you're not a Christian, I'll tell you what. Nothing about your sinful life is going to bring you closer to God. And the third thing he encouraged the non-Christian to do was begin to gather with Christians on the Lord's day. And he said, you start doing that until God gives you the grace of faith and repentance. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're not a Christian, either today is the day that you say, I'm ready, I want to follow Jesus, tell me what that looks like, and you find me or you find somebody, you find a way. And if you're not quite there yet, if you're amazed but maybe a little perplexed, pray, abandon sin, and begin to gather with us on the Lord's Day. Get to know Christians and ask hard questions. And as I share that gospel and I share that reality that all are going to stand before the judgment seat of God to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't just get the check out for this sermon. You have to live with that reality. The truth is, all are going to stand before God's judgment seat. All of them. Your spouse, your parents, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, your best friend from high school, your friend from college you haven't talked to in forever, the guy who lives down the street that keeps leaving his trash out when he's not supposed to. All will stand before God on that day. All of them. Every single one. And God's plan to see them come to know Jesus is the field mouth strategy. It's not to send really great, charismatic leaders into the life and start a revival. God's plan is you. You will meet people that I will never see. God's plan is to use normal people just like us and to equip us with all we need so that we might tell them how to escape death and the lake of fire. You are equipped for this in every way right now that the enemy is telling you, I just can't do this, I'm too nervous, I'm too scared. That's the enemy. You can do this. You're made for it. He's equipped you for it. I think that's the point of Acts 2. It's grand and it's amazing, but it's to show you he's that powerful. He won't leave you unequipped to do what he's called you to do. He won't do that. We don't serve an unkind father. We serve the God who loves us. He wouldn't do that to you. He wouldn't put that kind of burden on you. He's given you what you need. I promise you that. I want to conclude with this. I was talking to Judah the other day. <laughs> conversations with Judah usually go, and he really wanted to drink one of these. I want one of those. I said, you can't have one. I said, why? I said, well, you're not a Christian yet. He said, what's it mean to be a Christian? I said, to be a Christian means that you don't want to, you want God to be your boss. You don't want to be your own boss. Do you want to be your own boss? Yeah, I want to be my own boss. Yeah, I know. That's, that's our conversations. He's, that's where he is. He's, he's very committed to being his own boss right now. And I said, okay. And then I started to talk to him. I said, and, and you know, Judah, and, and I also, you know, Daddy, would, you'd actually get baptized before you would, would take this because, you know, that's what we, we want to see, that you, you would put your faith in Jesus and that when you come here to take this, it's because you have really thought about this and you want to follow Jesus. And you know that you want to follow Jesus. And we talked about baptism and, and here we were. This was, this was just like a week or two ago. He still remembered Eden's baptism. He remembered it. 
Oh, then they get in the water? Yeah, that's when they get in the water. See, we, we practice the Lord's Supper here every week because it's such a good way to share the gospel for us, for everyone around us. Because when I'm fumbling over cups and my son is helping me set up a couple weeks ago, he wants to know, Dad, what is this all about? And I was thinking, and I just, we get to celebrate this one. I wish I didn't have to pull from almost a year ago to talk to him about baptism. I want to see people come to know Jesus. Now, as I say that, I'm not blaming anyone. God alone saves and you can be a faithful church, and sometimes you have seasons of unfruitfulness. That, that happens. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. I'm not blaming anyone by any means, but what I am saying is this. I want to see people coming to Jesus. I want to have a part of my week be, we got to find a place to baptize somebody in winter, and, we, and they're not going to let us use the pool. Let's figure this out. I want to have some logistic problems like that. I want to see people who are serious about their faith and say, I want the world to know that I want to follow Jesus. I want the world to know. And so I want to get in that water for the first time in my life. And I want to be immersed in water so that I'm dead to my sin and raised up to walk in a newness of life. And I want to proclaim that to the world. And we're going to invite everybody I know. I want to see us do that. And if I'm honest, I've lost a little zeal since the holidays. I don't know if it's the stupor of the cold weather or what it is, but I haven't shared the gospel like I was just a couple months ago, if I'm just honest with you. I haven't been looking for those opportunities like I was. I haven't been praying on my knees, on my face before God like I was to see people come to know Jesus. And I confess that to you because I think that's the challenge for the Christian here today when you hear this message. Is God alone saves, he ordains the ends and all that. But listen, he has ordained the means and his plan for the world is to send you. Don't lose your zeal. Don't grow weary of doing good. Get back on your face before the Lord and beg him to save those people in your life that came to your mind. Been reading a book with Leland and I on Thursday mornings. Anyone can come. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. And in it, he quotes this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What this picture in Revelation makes me think of is the fact that I only get one shot at life. Only one. And it will be over before any of us know it. And the only thing that's going to last in your life are the things that you do for Jesus. When you stand before that judgment seat, even as a Christian, and your name is written in the book of life, I can promise you this. You won't regret that conversation you're wrestling with yourself right now. You won't. You won't regret sharing the gospel with that person and fumbling through it. You won't regret any time you spent praying for the salvation of other people. You won't regret any money that you give to the missionary cause. You won't. You won't regret any of that. You will stand before God and you will say, that is the only thing that mattered and it's the only thing that will last are the things that I did for Jesus. Everything else is going to burn away. As we look at Acts 2 and we look at the rest of the book and we are going to see more amazing things, 
all throughout the book, I pray that we see the one thing that fuels all of these disciples of Jesus, whoever they are, they are going to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are set on making his name famous everywhere they go. So I pray that you fulfill the mission of God, that you see that he has filled you and equipped you, that he has sent you out into all the world. So I'll just end with these two questions. Will you believe? Will you go? We'll pray and we'll respond in singing and then we'll have our time at the Lord's Supper. Father, I love you. I thank you for all that you do in our lives. Lord, I thank you that I can be reminded of simple truths like you died for me, that I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, that I can be reminded of simple truths that you fill me and equip me. And, and, and while we all are working out the ways that we may or may not be gifted in this world, God, that what we know is that we are, that he gives to all various, various gifts. Nobody here has been left wanting with the things that they need to fulfill what you've called them to do. God, I pray right now for every Christian in this room that you would just put that one person in their mind. That husband or wife, that son or daughter, that friend, that neighbor, that family member, that coworker, that student. That by the Spirit of God, He would bring those folks to the minds of our people. As we ponder them, I pray for them right now, God. I pray that you would send other Christians to them to proclaim the gospel you would send out laborers into that harvest so that they're hearing it from multiple people in multiple places. I pray for their hearts. Father, that you would soften them to the truth of the gospel, that they would not be overcome and hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God, I pray that you would just wear them out, that they would be tired and weary of trying to live life their own way that you bring them to the end of themselves and they would know this just isn't working so that when we can come and we can proclaim the gospel of hope of the glory of God, that we would tell them you don't have to keep living this way anymore. You can be free. Free to obey. Free to do what's right and pleasing in the sight of God. Free to be changed forever. Free in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would save them from their sin. They'd use our church to gather around them and love them into the body of Christ. They would see the, the joy that happens in a people where there is no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for everybody here who might not have a relationship with Christ. They don't know what baptism is or what it means.
their mind is clouded with other false beliefs that have trickled their way in from culture and whatever just seems right as we cling to it God I pray that you would move that that the sun would shine and the light would come through and they would be enlightened to see the glory of God that the God of this world who's blinded the heart of the unbeliever that they would be unblinded that you would remove the veil they would see what's true that today would be the day of salvation that we'd see people come to know Jesus put their faith in Christ and in Christ alone change us God and Lord we just pray that you would be rich in mercy and kind to Redemption Hill Church and that in your mercy to us sinners that we would have the joy of leading brothers and sisters home give us the joy and the pleasure of seeing your name be proclaimed throughout our city through our workplaces, through our mouths. Father God, may you fill all so that all would begin to speak as the Spirit would give them utterance. That we might proclaim the mighty works of God. I ask this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.